Amen. We're in Romans chapter 6 today. Let's uh, take our Bibles and let's open the scripture up. As you know, if you're worshiping with us for the first time here at Olive Knowles, either online or in person, we are going through the book of Romans together. We're going verse by verse, and um, we are, have made it to almost halfway, chapter 6, and um, it's, a, it's a great chapter. So let's stand together and let's read. I'm only going to read through verse 14, and then we'll cover the rest of the, scripture, the chapter in the message for the sake of time. Um, so let's look at uh, Romans chapter 6, reading from 1. Through verse 14. What shall we say then? Let me just remind you of where we were in chapter 5. This is where we left off. In chapter 5, Paul says, Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And so that's where chapter 5 ended. And uh, last week, if you were here, I, I read you the very first verse of chapter 6 to kind of give you a little bit, a bit of an appetite of where we're going in chapter 6 today. But in light of the fact that where sin increases, grace increases all the more, there's a question that comes up. And the question is this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let your sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace." Father, thank you for your word today. Would you speak to us? Would you open our hearts? Would you help us to realize that you have, have a, a life for us that is, that is better than we could ever dream or imagine? And today, Lord, as we talk about winning the war, the war over sin, would you help us to realize that it is possible? And I pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, back in uh, 1984, I joined the United States Army, and um, it was uh, it was a 
uh, a wonderful few years of my life where I, I got to um, go to Fort Lost in the Woods. Um, that's uh, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri, where I, I did my basic training. And then I went to uh, Fort Sam Houston, where I did my extended training as a combat medic. And um, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience. And I remember as I was... I was um, I was being trained, you know, they gave you an M16, they gave you a bell, bell packet with some, some fake grenades on it and some ammo packs and stuff like that. And they gave you all this wonderful equipment, you'd have to carry it around with you. And I remember the drill sergeant, he said, he said to us, he said, I got good news for all you soldiers that are signing up. If there is a war, the average lifespan on the modern day battlefield is 1.7 seconds. I was like, why am I even going to war, you know? 1.7 seconds. Now, he was talking about nuclear war. He was talking about, you know, missiles and bombs and, you know, little, 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 little M16s with bullets didn't really matter in that type of warfare, you know? It just really, really, really wouldn't matter. And I thought to myself, as I was training for the military, I thought to myself, you know, we might uh, lose a bunch of battles, but I hope we have big enough weapons to win the war. I hope we have big enough, you know, bombs and we have big enough shields and we've got a big enough things going on that if there was ever a giant World War III that we could sustain ourselves and actually win it. And um, because war would be very much different today than it was in World War II and it was in World War I. And that's one of the things that we're worried about with this Ukrainian, Russian, you know, the, the, the whole thing that's happening over there. Everybody's concerned about getting into a massive world war where we're shooting nuclear weapons at each other. And there's really no winners in that at all. Well, the war that I want to talk to you about today is not about, about human war, but a spiritual war, a war that... God has already won through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a war that each of you fight in your own life. It's a war that happens into hearts and minds of every human being. And it's a war between good and evil. A war that says, you know, I want to I wanna, I wanna do right, but wrong is right there. In this section of scripture in, in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8... It's really a body of, of, of scripture here. We're going to take it in chunks over the next three weeks, the next four weeks really. But uh, Paul begins to talk about this new life that you have in Jesus Christ. And how you, what God has done for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ is made possible for you to win the war over sin in your life. God has gone to great extremes to redeem his humanity. He's gone to great extremes to make it possible for you to be made right with him. And remember, the righteousness of God has been revealed from heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, and you receive it by faith. And when you receive it by faith, your life is miraculously and wonderfully changed in a powerful way. And so Paul has been talking about that now for five chapters. He's given us the bad news. He's he started discussing the good news with us. But now he's getting into, now that this is what God has done for you, how does that live out in your life? How does that live out in everyday life? How does it live out in your life? Now that you have received Christ as your Savior, what does it really mean in your life 
And what does God want you to do? And he really comes to grips with this idea of sin. And he asks these two questions. He asked a question in verse 1 and verse 15. He says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then in light of what God has done for us? And you remember in chapter 5, he went really, he kind of zooms out across all of human history. It's like, it's like uh, you know, it's like be the, you know, a picture where you zoom out and you can try to see the whole landscape. You can't see the details, but he gives these two great big types of, uh, of humanity. He talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam being man who falls under the curse, under, the, under condemnation, that we are sinners full of guilt and shame. We have violated God's law, and by nature, we are sinners. And then he says that there is the second Adam, the one who comes as created by God. He was a fully God and fully man, and he comes and he lives a sinless life, and he dies on a cross, and he creates this whole new sphere of living, which is living under grace. Instead of living under condemnation, there is living under grace. And he talks about how sin increases, yet grace increases all the more. And then Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? Shall we continue to be like the old Adam? Or should we live in the new Adam? And then in verse number 15, he asks the same question. What, sh what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And you remember in chapter 5, it, Paul clearly says that the law was given so that sin would increase. You would become aware of your sin because God gave us his law. His laws actually don't bring life, they bring death. The more you know the things you shouldn't do, the more you're aware of the things you've done. And you're aware of your sin. And because we are no longer under that law, but under grace, does that mean that we can just go and do whatever we want to do? Does that mean that we can live a life that's, that's, uh, that's unpleasing to God because of what Christ has done for us? Paul says to us, by no means. In other words, this, is, this type of thinking is dumb. <laughs> it's, it's not even, it's, you shouldn't even go down that road. Yet there are too many believers today who say they believe in Christ who have no distinguishable difference between their life before Christ and after Christ. That their life is basically the same, yet they say they believe. Yet they say they did. Because they have, they have in practice said, well, if sin increases and grace increases all the more, and God just is going to forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for everything I've done, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to sin all the time and continue to sin because it really doesn't matter because it's all about God just forgiving me. The Christian life is not just about forgiveness. It's about holiness. It's about righteousness. It's about living a life that's pleasing to him on this side of heaven. And that's what Paul wants to say to us today. How do we win the war over sin? And Paul gives us three things here that I want to point out to you in chapter 6. He uses two illustrations in this chapter. One is an illustration of baptism and the other is an illustration of slavery. To help us to understand, and those illustrations were very much common to that day and time. But... But, these, but, but Paul wants to tell us some things about how we can win over sin. The good news is you can. 
Amen? You can win over sin. I've got good news. You don't have to sin. Somebody might have told you you're going to sin all the time, but you really don't have to. It's not like it's, you know, predisposed in your nature to continue to live that way because of what Christ has done through the second Adam. He broke the chains of sin. He broke the dominion of sin. He broke the dominion of evil and darkness. And he wants us to live that way. And so three things I want you to see. First of all, understand what needs to be known. What needs to be known. What, he, what did Paul goes on to say in verse number two and three? He said, we died to sin. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember when we talked about Adam, he said to Adam, because Adam sinned against God, he was a representative of all of humanity. And because Adam sinned against God, we sinned against God. We violated God's laws. We were sinners by nature because of what Adam has done. And when we receive Christ into your life, we are baptized into what Christ has done for us. And that's why the, the baptism, our own baptism, is a wonderful symbol of, of, our, of our new life in Jesus. You are justified, but you are also brought into a new life. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 3, where he says, you must be born again. Not born of water, but born of the Spirit. And when you are born again, when you enter into this new life, you are doing away with the old life. You're doing away with it. You're not continuing. And it's not like you're taking the old life and dragging into the new life. You're taking the old life and you're dying to it. And you're moving into this new life in Jesus Christ. Too many people think that living their life for Jesus is just a continuation of the old life. No, it's a clear break from the old life. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Is how can we live in it any longer? How can we continue to live in sin? When Jesus died for it, and when we are called to die with him. How can we continue to do that? He goes on to say in verse number 3 and 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. How many of you remember your baptism? Do you remember it? Maybe some of you were baptized as a baby and you don't remember it, okay? But today, my hope and prayer is that you will be reminded that baptism doesn't save you. Your faith in Jesus Christ saves you. But baptism is a physical symbol of what happens in your life. When you go down into the water, when you are dipped into the water, when you are immersed into the water, you are dying with Christ. You are symbolically saying, I'm no longer the old Kevin Hardy. I'm no longer the old Joshua Chambers. I'm no longer the old Kaylee Farley. I'm no longer the old Jane Hardy. I'm no longer the old person. I am dying to myself. And when you rise up out of the water, you are coming up and you're saying that I am new in Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is 
is re, re, is, it's replayed. It's, it's, a, it's a almost acted out in your baptism. This morning, I, I, I forgot. Because I was going to have a big bowl up here. And I was going to ask you to come and stick your hands in the water to remind yourself of what your baptism was really all about. We could get the whole baptistry out of here. We could baptize her all over again. You could jump into the water and say, okay, I need to die again to myself. But you are identified with Jesus. I remember back when I was pastoring in, in, um, in Maryland, there was, a, there was a young boy by the name of Jason Custer. He was seven years old. Remember Jason? He had uh, some physical disabilities. He was a little character little boy. And um, we would always ask these questions to the kids. And here at uh, Olive Knowles, we ask the same questions. We ask things like, do you believe Jesus Christ died for you on the cross? Do you believe he forgave you and uh, is living in your heart right now? Do you intend to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of your life? And those are the three questions we ask every baptismal candidate. And I remember Jason looking at me, he goes, well, yeah, I remember asking Jesus to forgive me. He said, uh, I, I disobeyed my mom and dad and asked them to forgive me. And then I went into my room and cried. He said, but then I came back out and I didn't feel any different. And I wonder if it really worked. So I went back into my room and I asked Jesus to forgive me again. And I came back out, I didn't feel any different. So I went back into the room and said, Jesus, would you forgive? He said, I did it three times. And there are times in your life where you will not feel forgiven, feel new life. But you are, your faith is not built on your feelings. Your faith is built on the fact that what Jesus Christ did for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. He died for you. And your baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol of your new life in Jesus Christ. We have been emancipated from the bondage of sin by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You have been set free. You lived under condemnation and darkness and when you gave your life to Christ, you entered into a whole new existence with a whole new identity, with a whole new meaning for life. And God says to you, today you must come into your mind and say, I know that I know that I am new in Christ and I'm leaving that old life behind. Do you remember the nation of Israel? They were in bondage and slavery. And the Egyptians would make them work hours and hours and hours. They didn't give them time off. They made them make brick after brick after brick after brick. And they were... They were, they were enslaved. It was all about the slave master driving them, driving them, driving them. And they cry out to God, and God hears their cry and sends someone to rescue them, Moses. You remember that? And then Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go, and the devil doesn't want to let you go. Let my people go. And he brings all of the plagues and the plagues. And finally, after the plague that was so devastating to Pharaoh and all of his people, he finally says, go, just go. And he lets them go. And all the nation of Israel, all the people, they pick up their stuff. They take their stuff and they're going out and they're leaving. It wasn't too long. 
until they started complaining to Moses. You know what they said? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Pharaoh. We want to go back to slavery. We want to go back in our vernacular. We want to go back to the sin, to the drugs, to the alcohol. We want to go back to the friends. We want to go back to the promiscuous sex. We want to go back to the old ways of living. Because somewhere along the way we get on our head. We think it was better back there. It's a lie. Enslaves. Destroys. And anyone who goes back to sin after they've been redeemed by Jesus Christ goes back to a life of slavery to sinful behavior. A life of sinfulness. A life that brings guilt and shame. A life that does not bring happiness or joy or peace. Oh, they may think for a while, oh yeah, I'm free now. I'm back into my old things. But then they discover that the devil lied to them, cheated them, and stole from them all over again. You see, when you come to Christ, you have changed your status. You have a new identity in Christ. Who are you? You are a Christian. Your identity is Jesus. That's who you are. When you are baptized, you are leaving the old life, you're coming up, and now Christ is in you. I have a wonderful baseball cap up here. Anybody know who team, what team this is? What is it, Richard? You can't see that? I mean, what color is that? It's a red hat, which means it's a red sock. It's my hometown, okay? Let's imagine for a moment that I am a pitcher on the Red Sox. And I am, I am pitching against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I strike out most of the players on the team and I throw a no-hitter and I win the game. But somewhere along the way, the Red Sox aren't doing so well. Towards the end of the season, they decide to trade Kevin Hardy, the pitcher, because their team is not going anywhere. And they trade the pitcher to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Guess what I would have to do? I'd have to take off the Red Sox hat. I'd have to take off the Red Sox uniform. And I'd have to put on a Dodger uniform. And I would have to go out and I would have to pitch against the San Francisco Giants. Sorry, Richard. And I'm so good, I striked out the side and won the games. The next year, the Red Sox come to town and play for the Los Angeles, play against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I go out, and instead of pitching in the stadium for the Red Sox, I go out and I am pitching now for the Los Angeles Dodgers. But the manager, Dave Roberts, he says to me, the player, hey, why don't you just throw the ball right down the middle every time? Just let him hit it. Let him hit it. Let him hit it. Would he do that? 
Would the manager of the Dodgers tell a Dodger pitcher to pitch so terribly that the other team would hit the ball? Wouldn't, right, Sherry? Wouldn't happen. But what happens if the manager of the Red Sox said, hey, hey, Kevin, I know you used to play for me. We used to have a good team together, and, you know, we had, we had, we had a lot of fun together. You really do still love the Red Sox, even though you are now a Dodger. Why don't you go out there and just throw some meatballs right to our players? Let us hit it. What would I say? Absolutely not. By no means am I going to pitch in such a way that you, the Red Sox, my, now my enemy, is going to hit the ball. I'm striking you out. It's exactly what God wants us to do. We have changed status or we have changed teams or we have changed our perspective and we are no longer under the rule or dominion of the old life. We're in the new life. Paul goes on to say it this way. He says, for we know that what? Our old self was what? was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. The old lifestyle, the old sinful habits, the old behaviors, the old desire to be all about me and all about the things of this world. I have died with Christ. And I no longer live that way. That we should no longer live as slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We've been freed from sin. You have died to sin. You have been identified. You are now identified as a follower of Christ in a wonderful, powerful way. When I was first here in Bakersfield, Pastor Debbie took me down to Beardsley Street. Beardsley Street, for those of you who are new to Bakersfield, is a street that's, um, it's almost like going to a third world country. I was shocked by what I saw. The conditions that people live in here in the United States of America, I was just like, this is horrible. On Tuesdays, we go to Beardsley Street and we, and our team serves a lunch to um, what is called the Mains Trailer Park. It's not really a trailer park, it's a bunch of shacks. And Pastor Debbie took me and we walked down the middle of this, this uh, trailer park. And I said to her, I said, how do people live like this? I mean, how do they live? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, barely running water. They've got wires plugged in everywhere. It's, it's rats running around. There are, there are, it's, it's garbage everywhere. It smells, it's dirty. It's just, it's just terrible. And she said to me, well, there's a slumlord from L.A. who owns this place. People actually pay rent to stay there. I thought to myself, how does the city of Bakersfield even put up with this? Why would anybody live this way? 
Imagine if you lived in a place that you rented, you paid to live there. And imagine if the landlord would every once in a while just show up and walk into your apartment and say, ah, I just want your food. Maybe imagine they walked in your apartment and threatened you and said, hey, if you don't pay me more money, I'm going to kick you out. And you were afraid of the landlord, the slumlord, the one that didn't take care of the place, didn't provide for you, but he just stole from you and stole from you and stole from you, enslaved you. And you were so poor and you were so dark and you felt so, so in, had no ability whatsoever that you just stayed there day after day after week after week after week after week after week. Finally, somebody comes along like a Pastor Debbie. She's a gift from God to Bakersfield, let me tell you, folks. And she begins to minister to you, pray for you, encourage you, and even helps you with an option to get out from under the slumlord. Pays the debts that you have to the slumlord, lets you move out, gives you the ability to have have a new apartment, new place to live. And the slumlord, he doesn't want to lose you. So he comes knocking at your new door. He comes walking into your new apartment. He comes demanding that you move back. He comes to you and says, you know what? You don't want to live here and you still owe me money and you're much better under me. And because you have been so afraid and you've lived it so long that you cower under him, you even say, give him a few bucks that you don't have and you, and you capitulate to his, his threats against your life. And Pastor Debbie comes over and says, hey, what happened? And you say, well... The slumlord came by again. He wants me to go back to living in that place. He even offered to to pay my way. Maybe it's better if I go live there. No, you don't want to do that. That's the old life, my friends. That's the life of sin. That's the life of darkness. That's the life of enslavement. There's a new way to live that's through Jesus. What sin does to us, my friends, when we want to go back. So how do we win the war of sin? Second of all, know the things that God has done for you, but then count the cost. Look look what Paul says here. In the same way, count, I put in parentheses the word consider, yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This word count is, a, is the same word that Paul used in chapter 4 when he said that Abraham was credited as righteous. It's a banking term. It was credited to Abraham because of his faith that he put in God as a righteous man. And that you and I have been credited by Jesus Christ. By putting our faith in Christ, we've been credited as righteous before God. He has given us freedom and forgiveness. He says, in the same way, count yourself or consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ. 
To count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God is not pretending as if nor a mere ideal, but a deliberate and sober judgment on the basis of the gospel in that it accepts it as a norm what God has done in Christ by faith. This is so important. When I first became a Christian, I remember the feeling I had after I came to Christ. My feelings were really high. Some people don't have a lot of feelings after they get saved. They're just as saved. You're not saved based on your feelings, but based on the fact that you put your faith in Christ. But I remember leaving and going, wow, that was just powerful. I experienced this cleansing of my conscience. I remember feeling a sense of freedom and liberty in my life. And I remember going home um, to my foster father, who was not a Christian at the, at the time. He's still not a Christian. He's still a wicked man. But anyways, I remember going home, and I remember him saying to me, what was it like to go to church on Easter Sunday? And I told him, I says, it was awesome. It was good. I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, I became a Christian today. He thought it was weird. And so I started going to church on a regular basis. And I started reading my Bible. And I started going to Bible study. And I started to go to prayer meetings. And I started to go to Sunday school and Wednesday night. And I, anything that God would give me, I just wanted it. I wanted more and more and more. I was like, this new life is the best thing I've ever seen. I didn't fully understand it. But I began to consider this new way of living. And as I began to walk with God, I began to see that God wanted me to change my ways. I didn't fully get it. But now as I look back, I go, wow. Because here's what God does for you when you get saved. He forgives you. He gives you a new life. And he starts the transformation process in your life from the inside out. It's called initial sanctification. He makes you more and more like Jesus. And as I began to walk with God day by day, I considered the things that I was learning and growing and I began to discover that this new life was a whole lot better than the old life. I considered these new friends. I considered this new this new family that I had become incorporated with was different from the family of friends that I had in the neighborhoods, which were all about, hey, when are we going to party next? Hey, when are we going to, what's our next joint we're going to smoke? Hey, what's a, where are we going to hang out and party all night? I remember the hangovers and I remember the, 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 the utter chaos that was in my life. I looked at the results of my schooling and I was going down and down and down. I looked at my pocketbook and I had no money and I was in debt to a lot of people. I realized that my life was going anywhere. And then I looked at my new life in Christ and I counted the costs and I looked at it and I said, wow, my life is better with Jesus than it is without Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to us. Consider yourself dead. Consider your old life. Consider your new life. And when you compare the two, I want to tell you that the new life in Christ is so much better. That you don't want to go back there. And then, 
Here's what happens. It's the more you grow in Christ, you get to the place where you don't even desire the things you used to desire. I mean, you could come up to me right now. and I mean, when I was 16, 17 years old and say, hey, want to smoke dope with me? I'd be like, man, yeah, I want to get high. Like, just, just let's, let's do it. You could bring a joint to me now and I'd go, <laughs> it's, you, you, could, you could bring alcohol to me right now. You could bring cussing and swearing to me right now. You could bring promiscuous sexual activity to me right now. And I would go, no, thank you. I have no desire whatsoever to go back to that old life. I have walked with God long enough that I realize that that life does nothing but destroy. I'll take Jesus. And you know what? He's sweeter than anything the world can give you. He's better than anything the world can give you. This week I was up at family camp. Could I just tell you, I love to worship. We had like two worship services a day. With some incredible young, talented college students leading the worship. I spent a whole hour listening to a a man who was an incredible professor teaching on the book of Isaiah. You might say, wow, that sounds pretty boring to me. Could I just tell you, learning about what God has done throughout the world and how he's working just fills my soul. And then to enjoy God's creation, family, friends, laughter, joy, good fellowship, eating, the world can't even match what God's kingdom is. It's not even close what he's saying about count the cost the cost of discipleship in your life so what should you do set your minds on things above not on earthly things what does paul paul says in colossians he says for you died what did you die you died to the old life your life is now hidden with christ and god when christ who is your life christ is your life He's the reason everything in your life should be wrapped around Jesus. Every area of your life, your money, your time, your pleasures, your activities, your gifts, your talents, everything should be around this new life that is found in Jesus Christ. It's not like you have a little bit of religion and then you've got your own life. No, you've got your new life in God and everything is wrapped around him. That's how you live your life. If you don't do that, guess what you'll do? You'll go back to the old life. You'll go back to the ways of the world. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, what must you do? You must give up your own way. Or you must give up your old ways and take up your cross and follow me. That's why Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Don't let it reign. Don't let it have a foothold in your life. You give the devil an inch, he will take a mile. You play with sin, you're going to get burned. 
You dabble in the world's ways to satisfy your deepest needs, which is to be loved, to be, to be wanted, to be needed, to be valued. And you find those things in the world, you will be, you will be, find yourself living with guilt and shame and still not being satisfied in your life. Well, there's one more. Offer yourselves completely to the reign of Christ. This word in, in chapter 3, uh, chapter 6, is over and over again. He says the word offer. And notice what he says. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your brain, your sexuality, every area of your body. This is where you reside. Your spirit lives in a body. You have a body. You have one body to live on. And God says, I want you to take this body, who you are, everything that you are, and I want you to offer it. I want you to offer it. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1, offer it as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, to righteousness. If you want to win over sin, you want to win over the old life, you want to really experience all that God wants for you, you must offer him everything in your life not just part of you and usually as you grow in Christ here's what happens it comes down to one or two things in your life that you hold on to one or two things I've used this illustration for years but all of us have a keychain. we have keys and sometimes when we think about our Christian life we come to Christ and we add Jesus to our key ring. And as we bebop through life, God says, hey, could I have this money key? Could I have these friend keys? Could I have this, uh, could I have your entertainments, what you're watching, what you're looking at? Can I have this? And usually we begin to give him a few keys and then we hold on to one or two keys. And God says, I can't have you unless you give me all of you. And finally, we come to the place where we give him all of our keys. And then God says this, I want the key ring. I want the ability to take keys off and put new keys on. I want every area of your life. And as you give him your keys... God begins to take and uses as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master anymore. But you are not under the law, but under grace. Completely God's. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone 
Obey him as slaves. You are slaves to the one to whom you obey, whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is saying that we're all slaves to something. We're all enslaved to someone. We're all enslaved to something in our lives. Do you want to be a slave to sin, or do you want to be a slave to Christ? Righteousness, obedience, walking with the Lord. What are, who and what enslaves you? I mean, just give you some areas that maybe you need to look at. Work. Could I tell you, your job doesn't own you. You might have a boss, but when you begin to put your identity in Christ, Christ owns you and you work to glorify the Lord. You work as worship to the Lord. Money, possessions, temporal stuff. Money is no longer your, your God. God is your God. Money is something you use for God's glory. Your possessions are not yours. They're the Lord's. Everything that you touch temporarily, you want to bring glory to God with it. Pleasure. Whatever it might be, all your entertainments. I had a good time this week. I played three-on-three basketball. That was fun. It was recreation. Didn't play very well. This 56-year-old body doesn't move like it did 20 years ago. But I had a great time playing with the guys and having a little fun. It was wholesome. It was interactive. There's a lot of pleasures in this life that are bent on sin. Relationships. Addictions. Maybe you're addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, or food. Or multiple other addictions where you say, I need to offer that to the Lord and ask God to take that away from me and replace it with something good and healthy and wholesome. Addicted to self. Come, worship team. As we sing together, I want to just ask you a simple question as we conclude this message in this service. Is Christ the Lord of your life? Have you come to the place where you can say, I am done with the old life and I am fully embracing this new life that I have in Christ? I have a new identity. I've counted the cost and realized when I compare the cost, this life is much better than the old life and I am going to offer myself all that I am to the Lord. Him to cleanse me and sanctify me and bring me to holiness and righteousness. To live a life that's pleasing to him on this side of heaven. If you can't keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Or one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the old life. It won't work. Eventually this is what happens. It hurts. you got to let go of the old and embrace this new identity in Christ. So as we sing together, as we sing, my prayer is that if you need to pray today, let's take, we, we got a few minutes. Maybe today you could just come to the altar and say, God, I remember my baptism. I remember my identity in Christ. I'm counting the cost. I'm offering myself. And let God have his way in you. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for reminding us that we are yours. 
And I pray right now, Lord, you have been speaking to the hearts and minds of those who are here in person and online. If there's anyone here, Lord, that needs Christ to be the Lord of their life, they need to recommit themselves to you. They need to realize that they need to offer all of themselves to Jesus. I pray right now that they would do that. No matter what their age are, or how long they've been a believer, or maybe they're not a believer, would you draw people to yourself today in Jesus' name? As we sing together, if the Lord has spoken to you, why don't you come pray? Amen? Just come.